As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're looking back at the weekend that was for several Americans abroad. Here with me to do so is a man who scored as many goals against Norwich as Bournemouth did. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Yes, I did. I'm so proud of myself, uh, Bournemouth. <laughs> you got you to gotta do better than that. Come on. We can't be out here scoring the same number of goals against a professional <laughs> soccer team. I mean, hey, Joe, and really... You kept a clean sheet today, and Bournemouth <sighs> decidedly yes, did, did not. So if anything, a better performance <laughs> from you. Not a great day for Bournemouth. They lost 6-0 to Norwich, but a big day for Josh Sargent. He starts in the middle of a front three in a 4-3-3. Uh, he gets two of the goals in that 6-0 win. Joe, they weren't the prettiest of goals, but they were goals, and that's what we will remember. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is with Josh Sargent, a lot of folks, I think ourselves included, have been saying we want to see some of the ugly goals, right? We yep. want to see him getting down and dirty in the box, and and these ones are are a little bit weird, and they're maybe even uglier than I think a lot of folks, ourselves included, would have liked, but seeing him get in the box and move and find the ball in those kinds of spots, they were, they were in more open situations. This was a weird game in the EFL Cup as well, rotated teams for both Bournemouth and Norwich, so it, it, there's a lot of caveats here. But uh, there's no caveats on the fact that he scored two goals. That's the kind of thing you want to see, especially with this U.S. men's national team getting ready to head into World Cup qualifying in, what, oh, just over a week at this point? And players yep. are dropping like flies with injuries. Having having guys like Josh Sargent and him specifically get on the score sheet and, and maybe up their confidence meter just a little bit, that's the stuff you want to see as World Cup qualifying is around the corner. Uh Agreed. I didn't want to bias you with, with my sort of introduction to that conversation because they were ugly. They're, they're sort of he has one that's a tap and he has one that's like a scramble tap in of sorts. Uh, but I, but I'm with you for everything you just said. 
mostly because I think we have this lack of options up top. We've had this question about who will start, who should be the number nine. Then we've got injuries and there's even more uncertainty. And so to have somebody who's a candidate for that number nine spot scoring goals, that's a positive. But I also think those goals, in my opinion, look like goals that he would score for the U.S. They're sort of there's their quick transitions, their quick passing sequences, and he is making a run. Either he's sort of framing the goal and is there for the uh, the trash rebound, or he's there to kind of get on like a foot on a squared ball that then goes in. And again, not pretty, but where he needs to be in making smart little runs and getting in front of defenders. And and I think if it's a different, if that's Chicharito, we're praising his ingenuity on one of those yeah. goals. And, and yeah. that is a thing that stands out to me is just that you want your number nine in a position to score. And that's what Sargent did today. And, and man, I, I really do want to go back to the depth chart thing right now. I know this is specifically about what he's doing for Norwich, but Jossie Zardes is, is almost certainly going to be out for that El Salvador game and, and maybe even longer in that September World Cup qualifying window. Daryl DK, I read a Doug McIntyre column for Fox earlier today, out with a shoulder injury, apparently. We're assuming that came back in the Gold Cup. Uh, if you remember, yeah, he was carrying a little bit of a knock then. So Sargent's, Sargent's going to be the guy. He is the number nine. You've got PFOC as well in the conversation as someone who I believe is still healthy and, and played earlier today as we're recording on Tuesday. But man, Sergeant, Sergeant's going to be that nine. And, and without Christian Pulisic, who's, we're not really sure what his status is going to be dealing with COVID. There's a lot of question marks right now. And if Josh Sargent can even be just a, a tinier question mark, a, a little bit of a smaller question mark, I think that's, that's a good thing. I, w- I would go so far as to say this is probably the biggest opportunity he's had for the national team at this point because we saw Daryl DK's sort of rise last season and it wasn't the most impressive gold cup, but so I think his, we're not quite sure where he fits into the depth chart. Giassi Zardes is always in that conversation, but I think is never going to be a player that we're fully comfortable starting in a World Cup qualifier. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. It's just he, he does some things well, but it's not that next level performance. And I think Josh Sargent has a chance to go in and calm some nerves if he can get a goal early, if he can make something happen, if he can just look lively and plugged in and aware of what's going on. That sounds like a very low bar. I don't mean for it to. But <laughs> I think in the past, my frustration has been that we see him just a little bit slow, takes a little bit like longer than I would like to get into the game and look like he's kind of up for it. And I want to see him from the jump sort of challenging, fighting, knocking people off the ball, linking up play, dropping in where we need him to. And and I think if he can string together two or three very good performances, because again, I think he will play a lot. I think he has a good chance to go to the very top of that depth chart and maybe even add some distance between him and whoever's chasing. I'm totally with you. It's a unique situation for him with some some of the other players in that nine competition out right now. So yeah, take advantage of this opportunity. Taylor, I think mm-hmm. this is, like you said, I think this is probably his biggest national team opportunity of his career so far. So this is not only the biggest, these games coming up in, in September in just a few days, not only are these the biggest games for individual players, but it's also the biggest game that the U.S. men's national team has played since 2017. Right. This is the real deal right here. And so it's going to be the opportunity for Josh Sargent and a whole host of others to really stake their claim and and do something meaningful. Not that beating Mexico in in multiple trophies, multiple competitions over the summer isn't meaningful. But this is this is the real deal right here. This is what you want to be playing for to get yourselves to a World Cup. And I'm I'm excited to see how Sargent does. I'm excited to see him hopefully not play on the wing. He didn't play on the wing in this game and and he didn't against City either over the weekend. But he did in that first uh, appearance he had for Norwich against Liverpool back in week one of the Premier League. So I'm excited to see more of Sargent and I'm excited to see more of him hopefully as that nine for club and country. But... 
the game we're talking about was on a Tuesday, and Tuesday is definitely not the weekend. So, Joe, instead of talking more about midweek things, let's instead talk about at least six Americans in Europe. Where shall we begin? Oh, Taylor, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I would love for you to go first, Joe. Well, I want to go. I'm trying to decide right now. I started with Gio Reyna last time. I don't want to start with Gio Reyna this time, but we'll get to him <laughs> later. Tanner Testman. Let's start with Tanner Testman, Taylor. Right. We're going to Italy to Venezia, recently moved over there uh, from FC Dallas. Testman came off the bench in the 63rd minute of Venezia's 2-0 loss to Napoli in their first game of the Serie A season. This was not Testman's first appearance for Venezia, though he had uh, one appearance off the bench in Venezia's Coppa Italia game last weekend. And he played as a six for, well, for parts of both of those games. He played as a six and then as an eight in the Coppa Italia game, which was against a, a Serie A B team. And uh, Venezia did win that game despite Tessman missing his penalty in the shootout after extra time. In this game against Napoli, though, he came on as a six at the base of a 4-3-3. So he was at that single pivot with two eights ahead of him. The shape changed a tiny bit as the game progressed and, and Venezia really pushing for that equalizer and then pushing for uh, another goal. They didn't get either one of those. But I think we're still seeing a lot of the same Testman problems, which seems a little bit harsh because he is so young. I think he's still a teenager. I don't have his age down, which is negligence on my part. But he's just raw, Taylor. You watch him and he's raw. And I didn't Negligence send you... is a harsh word, Joe. Negligence right. is a harsh word. You're right. It's one Google away, folks. Um, you guys can <laughs> you guys can do that work for yourselves. Uh, he's young, right? And he's so, so, so raw. I didn't send you any of the really raw Testman moments, Taylor. He, he picks up a yellow card in the 75th minute of this game. Uh, and, and there's just moments where it looks like he's a little bit behind the play. So there's there's moments like that. But then you see why a team like Venezia, a team that's trying to really make a push up in, in Italian football, is making a move for him besides their American ownership. He has quality on the ball. He can ping some nice chip diagonals. He broke lines a couple of times in this game. I sent you one clip, Taylor, where he's driving forward and then and then lays the ball forward. He doesn't really lay it off, but he, he passes it forward between the lines. He has so much potential. But uh, watching this game, I was hoping that something dramatic had changed in his career, and he was he was ready. He's not, and he was never going to be right now. But it's it's a work in progress, as all things are. When you're referring to the kind of Typical Tanner Tessman problems. Is that the rawness and being behind the play that you mentioned, or are there other more specific things? No, I think just being raw, you watch him, and I'm trying to think of a better way to articulate this. It's like he's such a a long-limbed kind of guy. He's a big dude. You can see why he almost played college football or whatever that Clemson connection with Davos Sweeney is. I know that's his godfather. You can see, like, this guy's an athlete, but he doesn't quite look like a soccer player. Yeah, he looks like the answer to yeah. the question, what if our best athletes played soccer from a U.S. perspective? It, the answer is Tanner Testman. And, and so he still needs some of that seasoning. He needs more time being exposed to the game at a high level. So with Dallas, he was starting to get that time. And he wasn't playing game in and game out, starting game in and game out. But he was getting minutes. And you could just see he's still – it looks like he's still learning how to move sometimes. He's still learning how to work his way out of situations. He actually has really soft feet. But just it, it, all, the, all the stars haven't aligned just yet. And I'm optimistic that they'll have a chance to align a bit more as this Serie A season progresses. All right, Joe, here's my here's my attempt uh, to, to kind of go with a, a metaphor is uh, in Turkey, if you want to say good evening, you would say uh, the technical words would be like "iyi akşamlar. But at least in Istanbul, nobody says them as two separate words. They would say like "iyi akşamlar. 
And that's what I'm assuming you're talking about with Tessman is that right now you're seeing him sort of saying the like, good evening in a very sort of (laughs) like structured formal sort of way and you're not seeing the kind of fluidity the comfort like the just the oh. comfort the confidence on the field that you would want to see but ideally we will as he continues to get more minutes oh that is an incredible illustration taylor i love that so much i'm just picturing tanner testament like robotically introducing himself in turkish <laughs> i was doing the robot when i said it <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening it's yeah. it's just a matter of time being exposed to the game he has the tools, right? He has the Turkish to English dictionary. He can work there this stuff go. out. He can look up the pronunciation guide on YouTube or he can just listen to you say it just then and then maybe he's listening to the show. The pieces are there. It's just a matter of time and we've got to be patient. It's not like anybody's pushing for him to be involved in World Cup qualification in this cycle. That's not realistic right now, but it is exciting and this is one reason I wanted to talk about him. It's exciting, first of all, to check in on how he's doing, but also just mm-hmm. to, to talk about another new player, right? Yep. In this European pool, we talked about Conrad and Joe Scally last week. Now we're talking talking about Tanner Testman, and maybe none of those guys will be involved in World Cup qualifying. Maybe one or two of them will, but it's another name. It's another drop in the bucket, and I there, there's no way for me to look at that other than feeling excited and coming away excited about what Testman in, in the pool is doing. Yeah, I mean, six or seven years ago, if we had an American getting minutes in Serie A, or like, and it felt like that was going to be a consistent thing, we'd be super excited. And, and it feels like now we're still as excited, but with that, so many other Americans doing big things and making big moves— Maybe it's one of those like, oh, yeah, that's great. And so that's probably the better world to be in. So we're not just lumping on pressure. We're not analyzing or overanalyzing every single little pass and every single little decision, but looking at it from a broader perspective and just saying like, yeah, that was good. But now we want to see the improvement. We want to see more uh, fluency on the ball. Totally. Fluency on the ball, fluency in the Turkish language. Tesman, step it up, man. I know you're not in Turkey, (laughs) but it's time to learn, dude. You got it. All right. All right. So we've got a, a, a newbie uh, that we've discussed. Joe, shall we talk about a, a veteran, a, a fixture whenever we do our Americans Abroad review? Oh, please do. Let's talk John Brooks. John Brooks starting at center back for Wolfsburg. Top of the table, Wolfsburg, as they uh, beat Hearts of Berlin. Two to one. It's a come from behind victory. And I guess I'll start with the negatives first because that goal uh, that they do concede to Hearts comes from a penalty. And that penalty is conceded by John Brooks. And there's a good... 10-minute period or so in this game in which I think Hertha started to get more control, started to find more of the ball and find themselves in better attacking positions. And then this moment comes from a counterattack. I think Wolfsburg had a corner or had numbers committed forward. Hertha break and it's John Brooks in the open. And I think that remains sort of the biggest vulnerability to, to his game. And he's an incredibly good defender and Wolfsburg are a very good team. But when you've got him out in the open and especially if he is trying to cover the distance and make sure there's not an easy pass, but at the same time sort of close down the person on the ball, I don't think that's his strongest suit. I think a lot of it has to do with this height, and it's just harder to make those little steps to kind of close but not overcommit. And here, that's kind of exactly what happens. He overcommits, and then he has to make that that kind of leg poke, that leg sweep to try to stop the player from cutting around him, and there's just a tiny bit of contact. It goes to VAR, and the penalty is given. But there's also moments before that when he over pursues and then there's just a little flick and now he's way out of position and somebody's running into the space he's vacated and those moments where you're relying on him to do the 1v1 open field defending or to sprint 30 yards to try to beat somebody to a ball he can do that but I don't think that is the best part of his game and when teams can kind of capitalize on that vulnerability they get goals or at least get penalties 
You know, Taylor, the one person who I think is smiling watching this. Okay, there's probably multiple people smiling as they watch this hmm. clip of John Brooks giving up this penalty. I think the one guy who is who's the most excited about this clip is Miles Robinson. Man, because Miles <laughs> Robinson is kind of like like the perfect partner for John Brooks in a lot of ways, right? It's Miles Robinson's defensive mobility that makes everybody love him. And he is he is mobile defensively, and he was very good in the Gold Cup. And John Brooks will be a key part of the U.S. men's national team going forward, hopefully towards the World Cup in 2022. But he needs defensive cover, man. He needs call. defensive cover. And so this clip is is just one of so many dozens of examples that we could find. John Brooks, good at soccer. John Brooks, not the best 1v1 defender in this moment even. He's not even 1v1. There's another teammate. There's another Wolfsburg player coming in. And actually, that player's ready to cut off the inside angle. Brooks has no reason to dive in. I don't know if he doesn't see his teammate coming in to give him help, but it's it's a 2v1 situation for Wolfsburg right at the edge of the box. And so it's a questionable decision from Brooks to dive in at all to step in. He doesn't fully dive. But still, he's going to be a part of this team, obviously. That doesn't even need to be said. But I can't help but think that Miles Robinson's got just a little, uh, a little, a little grin creeping across his face because he I, knows he's going to be in that situation to help out. Dude, I love that analysis because that would make me very happy and that does feel like it would sort of calm down or like maybe make it less obvious some of those not deficiencies but just potential vulnerabilities but I feel like because I've gone negative to start I would like to end on a much more positive when it comes to John Brooks because that aside and maybe even as I said like we kind of saw the thing that we've seen before but I also saw a lot of what we've seen before when it comes to the good side of his game and there were moments yes. when he just dominates in the air he wins 1v1s and and is able to kind of force players to go backwards and then when he's on the ball his passing vision, accuracy, range all just remain superior. Joe, the one I sent you, I think it's a sort of like it comes not out of nowhere because they're moving the ball. It's it's a little bit slow and you can see that he's shaping to hit it. But the way he sort of hits this worm burner on the ground, it splits three defenders. But it also with the way Hertha were defending, it's kind of a mid block four four two, And he takes out basically that front six with one pass and finds a teammate between the lines and a center back who can take out six players at once with a pass and put his team into a much more promising attacking position is great. But then he also can hit a 60, 70 yard diagonal right to feet. And there were just many different short passes, passes forward, long passes forward, and then di long diagonals. And a lot of them were coming off. And, and really, he seemed to be the one that was tasked with kind of pulling strings from that back line. And so we continue to see all of the many strengths he brings. And then I feel a little bit better about that one vulnerability with Miles Robinson being there smiling. So thanks for that, Joe. Yeah, you got it. Taylor, did you ever go to birthday parties as a kid or maybe you had one with a piñata? <laughs> uh, I have vague, vague memories of that. I don't know if I ever had one, but I definitely went uh to parties. Okay, okay. So let's just say we're at a party with a piñata. It's, it's a little kid's birthday party. And kids are growing at different rates and all that good stuff. And so there's there's the little kids that are taking swings of the piñata, and they're they're not going to break it open. They just don't have the upper body strength to do it. Then John Brooks is this overdeveloped nine-year-old <laughs> coming up. And he just, he just absolutely waylays the piñata, breaks it right open, and then there's candy everywhere. That's John Brooks as a passer. That's John Brooks, especially in this moment that you're talking about from this Bundesliga game. It is, it's just everybody else kind of passing the ball and being really slow. And John Brooks takes the ball and he says, guys, come on, this isn't that hard. And he nope. breaks lines and he gets it in and, and bypasses those six players. Like you mentioned, all that analysis was great, Taylor. I just, I just can't help but think of John Brooks as that big kid uh, at a birthday party <laughs> because that's what he brings to Wolfsburg. That's what he brings to the U.S. national team. And it's a hugely valuable skill that I am particularly partial to. I'm just now into the idea of like John Brooks 
being as big as he is at like the age of 10. And just when they go to like hang that pinata up, they see him coming and they got to raise it up a few more feet. Yeah, yeah. Not much of a contest if it's a fully grown John Brooks. And that's what I'm choosing to believe. John, I'm going to think about that as we go to break. And I will try to think about something else when we come back uh, more in just a moment. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back Friendly listeners, I'm assuming you all are friendly. I should just say friend listeners. Joe, we've talked about two Americans, kind of three Americans with Josh Sargent thrown in there. Whom should we talk about next? Let's talk about Gio Reyna. I mentioned his name earlier. I talked oh about him last week as oh well. Gio Reyna is so good at soccer, Taylor. And I, I'm realizing that more and more what feels like every day at this point. He started both of Borussia Dortmund's Bundesliga games so far under Marco Rosa. He started, obviously, on Saturday in that 2-1 loss to Freiburg in the Bundesliga. He had the MLS assist on Dortmund's only goal. It was a nice bit of, of play, actually, on that right side to bring the ball down and then combine with Paslak, who served the ball into the box Gio's just, he's thriving in a different role. He, he's playing a different role, which we talked about last week. He's deeper. He's more in that central midfielder role. He played more on the right last week in, the, in, in central midfield, this time more on the left of what really turned out to be a midfield diamond under Marco Rosa. It was Royce as the 10, and then it, it had Gio as the left-sided number eight in that diamond. And he was doing a lot of classic Shuttler central midfielder kind of things. He was dropping back into the left-back spot to push that player higher. He was pushing forward in between the lines. He, he was doing it all. He was playing this box-to-box central midfield role, which is not something he did at all last season, or, or not certainly not much of it. And so I'm just encouraged every time I watch him to look at how quickly he has adapted to this team, adapted to a role that he probably hasn't spent much time in since he was with the youth national teams, which, to be fair, wasn't all that long ago. But he looks comfortable. He looks very at home in this different spot. He's comfortable in different spaces. He moved really well off the ball in this game. He connected with Erling Holland a little bit. There was there, there were one or two things not to like and to get a little frustrated and nitpicky over. But overall, man, back-to-back really strong performances under a new manager in this new Bundesliga season, that bodes really well for Gio Reyna. Joe, do you get this sense that when he took that number seven shirt, there were some jokes about like, yeah, you got to bring what Jaden Sancho brings. And he kind of responded to that with like, that's not a joke. I will be doing that. Because it does <laughs> seem like he has very, very happily embraced the idea that he is meant to be a creative fulcrum for that team, that he is meant to create, to take shots, to try things. And it seems like he is more than happy to oblige. I can just picture Gio Reyna giving like a half smile and just not saying anything yeah. in response to that question because he's in, he's an incredibly confident individual, which again, talked about that last week, sometimes confident to a fault, or at least if we were playing with him, I think we'd think it was a fault. He He's very different, and you know this, he's very different than, than Jaden Sancho as a player, and they're doing different things, but man, he, he has upped his his contributions to this team, and maybe that's a natural thing as he's moved into a more central position. 
but he's getting on the ball and he's making things happen. There's this moment I sent to you, Taylor. It's floating across and around on Twitter as well. It's this incredible turn in the 11th minute. It's Dortmund in possession. Reina's actually shifted over to the right half space. So he's he's getting on the ball from a teammate, and, and right as the ball comes to him, he gets ready and shapes and spins past an opponent using their momentum against them. Then he drives forward, gets into the box, and, and the shot part at the end isn't so good. Maybe not the best decision in the final third, which is really my biggest gripe with his game right now in general. But everything before the shot is unreal. It's like if you'd closed my eyes and you made me colorblind and then maybe allowed me to squint a tiny bit, I might have thought it was Xavi or Iniesta. It's <laughs> that smooth on the ball. And, and seeing more and more of those types of moments with getting on the ball in the half turn or getting on the ball and, and turning with even with his back to goal, I, I want to see that stuff because I think he can do that with the U.S. men's national team and provide a ton of value in a bunch of different spots. So what what then would you like to see as the like next step in that development? If you're looking for one thing that maybe just isn't quite what you'd like it to be or an area that you think could help him diversify his game, what might that be? Yeah, just releasing the ball a little bit sooner. I think yep. I mentioned this last week. I have very little memory, so I apologize for that. But there's a couple of clips in this game. That that shot at the end of that 11th minute sequence, maybe not the best call. There's a moment I sent you in the 47th minute where he gets on the ball. Gio gets on the ball from Jude Bellingham in midfield and, and has space to drive into. And so he does. And then he just kind of keeps going and going. And maybe he forgot that there were other folks on the field. He had Daniel Malin off to the left. Just didn't pass it to anyone, kept dribbling, and ends up losing the ball. I think Dortmund weirdly get a corner out of that whole thing, but it wasn't through any real action of Giorena's in that particular sequence. So getting rid of the ball just a tiny bit faster, the rest, man, he can press, he can pass, he can dribble, he can cut inside, he can win 50-50 balls, he can move off the ball. I don't see a lot of other gaps besides maybe that one little roadblock, and, and that could just be a feature of his game which I think a lot of folks, Dormund, the U.S. men's national team, wherever he ends up going after Dormund, I think you might even take that trade-off. Where then do you think he best fits for this upcoming U.S. camp? With some of the absences we're expecting, he could play a number of different roles in a number of yeah. different spots. And and I think what I go back to is that he seems to be a player that the coach is is probably best served to just say, like, yeah, I want you to try stuff. I want you to take people on. I want you to sort of like feel yourself and go for it. But I don't know what spot on the field Burhalter is most comfortable with that being, as in I doubt he wants it to be one of those number eights because that can leave you incredibly vulnerable if he's making some slaloming run across the middle. But then again, it might be worth it to have that sort of presence on the ball centrally. I have a feeling we'll end up still seeing him out wide. But Joe, do you have any ideas what you would like or what you think will happen? I think I think we'll see him in the same spot that he's been playing for the U.S. men's okay. national team, which is mostly in those half spaces. He's a nominal winger, but he's always going to come inside and find the game, with the exception of a few moments over the course of a 90-minute match. He's going to get on the ball in those half spaces between the lines and then turn and drive forward. I do think, though, I, I do think we could see him a little bit deeper at some point. He could be one of those number eights at some point in this World Cup qualifying cycle. I just think right now you're missing Christian Pulisic up front potentially for that first game against El Salvador maybe for longer maybe he's not involved in this in this camp at all I don't know but I think if there's any doubt about Christian Pulisic being away from this team Gio Reyna's role as one of those wingers tucking inside is even more important so yeah you're missing Yunus Musa as one of those eight options but you still have Legette you still have Acosta you still have McKenney. I think you're a little bit more comfortable with those players there and you might not need to move Geo deeper even though I think it's becoming very clear that he could do both of those jobs pretty darn well. All right, well, we shall see what Berhalter does and what happens with Reyna. Anything else, Joe, on young Geo? 
No, he's good. Let's keep going. Let's talk about a young American who had less fun in the Bundesliga this weekend. Let's talk Joe Scally. Joe talked about him last week. This time, Taylor's going to talk about Joe. Uh, He started for Gladbach in a 4-2-3-1 of sorts, uh, and it did not go well. They lost 4-0 to Bayer Leverkusen, and Joe Scally, uh, yeah, a game that he will probably want to forget, but I would say he should not forget because it's important to have bad games and to remember the bad games and to learn from them. Because you can't learn without making mistakes. Otherwise, you're just infallible. But this was definitely a game where Joe Scally will have much to learn from. He could pick a lot of different clips. Um, I believe it was Build gave him a lower rating than I think they're like a custom. I think the lowest they usually give is like a 6 out of 10. He got a 5.5 out of 10. Might be a little bit harsh. And I would say a grain of salt with all of this because it is not as though everybody else on Gladbach had a great day, and then he was just sort of the weak link. Everybody had a bad day for Gladbach. Lots of miscontrolled passes, uh, lots of blown 1v1s, failures to track back, failure to just track a runner through, uh, failure to mark on set pieces. It was a very bad performance from Gladbach in this 4-0 loss. But Joe Scally does stand out on a couple different moments, including when he is just dusted down the line by Diaby. And I think it's one of those games where once you make a big mistake, I think at that point it happened so early that he hadn't really grown into the game. He hadn't had those first couple minutes where he completes a pass, he plays a ball. I think he wins one 1v1, but it still goes out for a throw in for Leverkusen. So it's good. He wins the ball, but even there, it still ends in a set piece for them. And I, I think if it happens maybe five minutes later on in the game, he just has more time. He's feeling more confident and it's just easier to think, ah, that's a one off. I can shake it off. But when it happens, I think inside the first, like I think it's the 11th minute that he just sort of gets worked down the line. Uh, that's the one where he gets knocked off the ball. You can just see him get up and shake his head. And it's just that sort of like, ah, is this going to be the whole game? And I think once that happens, you start miscontrolling, you start hitting errant passes. And I think it, it's a good game for that he can learn from in how to sort of pick himself up in the game and remember that you kind of got to refocus, redouble your efforts and find a way to get a result. It's a learning moment in that way. And then also just, I think, a, a learning moment in terms of the the mechanics of defending in that situation. You got to, I guess, you can't do nothing in that moment. And, and Diaby's got the ball wide and Scally's over there. And they're kind of going step for step. And it, it kind of just ends up with Scally getting beaten by Diaby and not doing anything to really solve that problem. He could have stepped in and really tried to poke the ball away. He, he makes a half-hearted effort to do that, sort of. Or he could just bring him down. And I think that is is maybe what a more veteran defender does, a more veteran left back does in that moment is, okay, I've been beaten 1v1, well played to you, fellow you know, opposing attacker, but you're going down. Like, we're going to pull you down in this moment. And I think yep. just because he is young, he's still learning. He's certainly learning that spot. He's learning in general just how to play professional soccer still. So that, that moment for me was uh, tough to watch because you think, man, a year from now, two years from now, maybe less than that, maybe next game. He he won't make that mistake again, but what's done is done. It was made. And I think it's all the more re- – like, it was definitely – I don't have this often, but it was definitely a moment that I found myself sort of, like, turning my head to, like, away from the screen mm. because he has position. He has no business losing that battle. 
and then I think goes for the like, oh, I've been fouled theatricality and almost tries to like land on the ball and grab it the way players will do to be like, yeah, that's a free kick, right? Like you're not going to let this play go on, but he doesn't do that and then realizes it won't be and then has to kind of do the desperation like maybe I'll grab his shoes and it was just not ever going to happen for him and it just looked like pure desperation and in that moment, he does look very young. He does look like, oh no, I've made a mistake and I'm a teenager because he is and that is worth remembering that he's very young, that he we should note, uh, I think neither one of us mentioned that he is starting these games because Rami Bensabaini, the usual yeah. Yeah. Left back uh, has been out with injury. Uh, he does come back into this game because Stefan Leimer uh, gets injured. Stefan Leiner, excuse me, gets injured, breaks his leg. So Ben Sabani comes in to play left back and Joe Scally goes to his more normal right back spot. And that is maybe where he will continue to play because I doubt Leiner is recovering from a broken leg in particularly short order. So I'm guessing we will continue to see Scally. And I'm hoping that playing on the right hand side will be a more comfortable like place of operation for him because another thing that I wasn't maybe as aware of Joe you might you might be uh, very much aware is just how one-footed Joe Scally is had you spotted yeah. that before yeah, he looks like a, a right back playing left back when he's on yeah. the ball he doesn't like to use his left foot not super no. into that whole two-footed thing no and it's it, it's it's a little bit like Antonio Valencia from Manchester United if people remember that that it's it's always going to be on his right foot. And so even in the first half there, I think what it's still one nil at that point to Leverkusen, Gladbach have a moment when they've won the ball back. They've kind of caught Leverkusen in transition and there's a ball played into the box for Scali who's on rushing and is open, but it's onto his left foot and he doesn't want to shoot with his left foot. If he, I think if he takes it, even carries it with his right foot and shoots with his left, it's a very like Jordi Alba sort of thing of getting on the end of one and getting that low shot or maybe just pinging it back across the face of goal. But instead, Scally receives with the outside of his right, which means he's now stopping the run. Then he tries to bend it with his right foot. And I think either the shot is blocked or he puts it wide. But there were just a few of those where the sequence slows down because he has to shift it onto his right foot to play. Uh, and sometimes that works. There's a really good ball out of the back that he kind of cuts inside, hits it with the instep of his right and bends it into the path of a teammate who then fails to, to control the ball. So again, not a great comprehensive performance from Gladbach. But then also uh, once in the first half, once in the second he tries to play a ball down the line and pings it directly out of bounds because he's not using his left foot to play it down the line. He's playing his right foot, and that doesn't work as well. So I think hopefully if he is able to get some more minutes and they are at right back instead of left back, maybe he can learn from this game. Just be, I think, more cautious, just not backing himself to win a foot race, to win a 1v1 battle out wide and be aware that if he gets beaten there, the entire team is sort of in a vulnerable state and he can't afford to do that. So if you're beaten, you got a foul. And I think maybe if there's just 10% more cynicism and 10% more caution, I think his game is a significant percentage better. I agree. And, and like we talked about with Tessman, I like a lot of the tools that Scally has. I like a lot of the pieces there. He has the physicality, even if he didn't show it in that the moment where Diaby beats him down that right side. He has some quality on the ball with that right foot already. And yeah, the left foot needs to develop. And yes, some of the decision making needs to develop. 
But I like the tools that he has, and I'm excited to see him get more minutes for Gladbach as the season progresses. The path to those minutes is a little bit murky in certain senses, and now it's a little bit unfortunate because he might be relying on players ahead of him on the depth chart to just be out with an injury to get him into that lineup. But still, there's a, it's a long season. There's plenty of games for him to get time, and it seems like overall he's made a, a solid impression. If you take last week's game, you take this past weekend's game, you take some preseason talk— It seems like still, you average those things out. He's made a positive impression on this team and on this coaching staff. And I do think that bodes well for him and his development as this 2021 season continues. And so my final uh, note on Scally would just be that we we might not see him start the next game. He might also start it. Uh, But I think he hasn't played himself out of contention because, again, the entire team was pretty bad and there were other injuries elsewhere that didn't help with the overall performance. Uh, what our goal, I think, is for Joe Scali is to be in a position where a month from now or two months from now, if he's not starting and once they have their kind of full depth back, I don't know if he is going to be their automatic starter. I doubt that he would be. But we want it to be like a situation in which at the end of that time, when they do have everybody available, he is at least in the conversation. He is at least a capable option off the bench or capable depth when they do need to rotate. What we don't want is for a string of bad performances. And then the coach is sort of looking at him as, yeah, he needs to go out on loan in January and maybe get just a bit more confidence, a bit more experience, and then we can bring him back. So I think as long as we are learning from it and moving forward, then we're moving forward and we're fine. Here, here. Moving forward, y'all. Here, here. Moving forward. And uh, on the moving forward note, we will move forward to our final two players. But first, we will take a break to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe Lowry, four down, two to go. Where next? Tim Weah time, folks. Tim Weah started and played 81 minutes in Leo's 1-1 draw with St. Etienne on Saturday. I didn't watch Tim Weah so far this season, and I forgot how much joy it brings me to watch (laughs) Tim Weah. This was his second start of the year. Not necessarily a standout performance. He didn't do a ton of crazy stuff in the attack. Lille, in general, are are in a bit of a strange spot right now. They changed managers after winning the league uh, title last year. They don't really look as strong, and some of that was to be expected. They really overperformed a lot of their underlying metrics last year, and it was a great story, but a tough one to repeat and and really compete for back-to-back league uh, titles. But all that aside... I just like watching Tim Weah play soccer. He's fun to watch. He's so skillful on the ball. There's this moment I sent you, Taylor, in the fourth minute where he brings down the ball from uh, Sanetien's goalkeeper. It's a, it's a long ball forward from from the goalkeeper. And Weah just cushions it, then plays a ball forward, and then makes a run forward into the box. Quick, quick, skillful, moving forward, making those off-ball runs. He's a threat in a bunch of different phases of play. He he fits in really well on the right side of midfield, which is where he was playing in this game in that 4-4-2 shape that they kept over from last year. 
I I just really am a fan of Tim Weah as a soccer player and what he brings for club and country. And uh, it was fun to have an excuse to go back through and be reminded of that. So same question as always with Timothy Weah. What are you seeing from him that maybe has you more optimistic when it comes to the U.S.'s wide attacking options? Sure. Yeah, he is, in addition to just being at this level and playing regularly, because he has, I believe he's played in all four of Lille's games so far this season, including... Uh, I don't know what they call the – it was PSG versus Lille to, before the season. It's some sort of cup competition or, or yeah. one-off trophy. <laughs> the some sort but, of cup competition is the way yeah. to say it. It's what, the cup Except winner versus the league winner, yeah. basically? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. that sounds about right. Um, he, he's played in all these games, so he's getting minutes and he's he's playing at a high level. So there's all that stuff. But then there there are these little things, that, that skillful touch, the movement off the ball. And he's getting forward and playing some passes that I think Berhalter would really like. There's this moment in the 25th minute where he gets forward high on that right side and plays one of those cutbacks from a pretty good, maybe not the Manchester City zone, maybe it's a little bit wider. But in that general area, he's doing things that, okay, If again, if he was wearing a different jersey, wearing the U.S. jersey, I could say, okay, that's a Berhalter kind of move. That's something that Greg Berhalter wants. He makes a lot of active runs in behind, which is something that Berhalter talks about a lot. And it's something that's even more important if Tim Way is playing opposite, say, Gio Reyna, who doesn't make as many of those line-breaking, in-behind, back-line-breaking type runs. So I, I think he's a complementary player to uh, a number nine, to the opposite winger, to Sergio Dest potentially on that right side if it's way on the right and, and Dest on that side, or to whoever the left back is. He can rotate into a whole bunch of different spots, and, and, and maybe most importantly right now is he's healthy, and hopefully that stays uh, stays true for the next week plus, but he's ready to, to come in. He's ready to contribute, and without Christian Pulisic, he's going to need to contribute and maybe is even in line for a start against El Salvador. Joe, I hope this question may, ends up making sense. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Always a good way to start. But like when I think about Tim Weah, I, I find myself a little bit confused because I think there are certain players uh, in the national team pool that that I just I know if I check their their team's game, they're going to be playing. John Brooks is going to start for Wolfsburg. Giorena is going to start for Dortmund at this point. Uh, Tyler Adams for Leipzig. Like we know, there are those players who who will be starting and will be playing. And then even there's a player like Christian Pulisic, who even if he's not starting for Chelsea, we know is getting minutes, is in the plans. And I don't have those concerns because fundamentally he's going to start if he's fit. And then I guess there's like a second tier underneath that. And I think that's where Tim Weah is right now because he's very good. He's in the conversation for the roster, I think, when he's fit and when they're calling in European-based players, then he's in there. Uh but I still don't know if I think of him as like an indispensable aspect of that team, an indispensable member. And basically, I'm wondering where you sort of rank him in the depth chart. Not like, is he second choice or third choice, but just sort of like, is he, is he for you that player that you still don't think of as like a consistent starter and a consistent performer such that we know he can be a consistent starter and performer for the national team? He's he's not a consistent starter and a consistent performer for Lille just yet. They have mm-hmm. other attacking options. It's been Renato Sanchez a lot playing uh, playing that right-sided midfielder spot a good bit over the last year and change, maybe longer. And I, I've seen some transfer rumors around him, and I don't know what that situation is going to be. But he's not. Tim Way is not starting every game. He started two. He's come off the bench in two so far this season for Lille. And it would not surprise me at all if that pattern continues. But the the interesting thing about at Tim Weah's situation, and I think just club and national team soccer in general, is uh, that stuff matters, and you want to be playing, and you want to be getting reps. I, I've talked about how that's a that's a positive for Tim Weah already, but it's not it's not the most important thing. 
right? It's not, it's not like the end-all be-all. If Sergio Dest all of a sudden isn't playing for Barcelona, no one's going to say ah, he's not the, you know, the first-choice fullback on either side, right? He has a skill set that other players just don't have. And the same, to a lesser extent, to a lesser degree, the same thing is true with Timothy Weah. I, I, my thoughts on him is my thoughts on him are ugh, it, it you know he's a player that doesn't have to be starting every game for me to feel comfortable really? about him starting with the national team I, I think he is that good he is in a situation where there's lots of other options he can play in a few different spots he is he's kind of a utility piece he certainly was last season playing right back playing on the right side of midfield playing up front he can do a lot of different jobs and, and that's a blessing and a curse it, it sometimes means that he doesn't get a ton of minutes in one consistent spot over a set period of time I don't have many doubts about Tim Weah, to be honest with you, Taylor. I think he and Brendan Aronson and Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic and, and maybe Conrad and Matthew Hoppe, they make up a really talented winger core, and we're getting closer and closer to the point where I really won't be upset if anybody's starting, any any of those players, especially those first four I mentioned, are starting a key World Cup qualifier or maybe a, a World Cup match at some point in the future. It makes sense. I don't think I have any like concerns about his development or will he end up being a good player or a starter for the national team. I think it's just with so many of those kind of top tier players that we hope reach that top tier of the of the pool. Uh, like you want them to grow into their team and, and get those kind of, oh, a 10 minute appearance here, 15 minutes there. Let's look at Tanner Testman for a second. Like we know he's going to continue to get appearances, but maybe it's five minutes at the end of a game. Maybe it's 20 minutes at the end of the game. But ideally, then as the season goes on, or maybe even the start of next season, he is the starter there. And now like, oh, he started three games in a row and you can sort of, trust that when you check whatever Venezia have done, you know he's going to be in that lineup. I remember that being like Clint Dempsey at Fulham, how suddenly he kind of played his way into you knew he was going to start, and then from there he moved into like you could almost assume he had scored for Fulham when you would go to check Hmm. the weekend's results. And I think that happened with Pulisic at Dortmund, that happened with Reyna at Dortmund, where they start making appearances and little cameos and they're playing in cup games, and then suddenly he started one game, and he started the next game, and oh, he got a low cry, oh, he got an assist this time. And there is that, like, okay, now they're just a part of the team. And I think with Wea, because it starts with PSG, and like maybe he's going to get some chances with the senior team, and he gets one or two, and then the stars come back, and then he's out on loan, and then he's out on loan again. And then it, I think it's just been this prolonged period and again, we're talking about a very young guy, but it's been a couple years of, is this going to be the year that he breaks through? Is this the year that you can trust that he's starting every single game? And we still haven't reached that point yet. And it's not a concern. It's not a worry. It's not even a criticism. It's just a thing I would like to be the case, that I can like trust that yeah. we're going to go check Leo. And, oh, he's played the last three games. He started two, and he came on as a sub and one. Like, I think I just want to see that level of consistency in his appearances. and And that's... I don't know why I, I, that matters to me, other than just I like knowing that there's a bunch of different Americans playing in a bunch of different leagues and ideally doing successful things while they do it. I think it'd be weirder if, if people didn't want that, right? I yeah. mean, as, as folks from the United States who enjoy American soccer and, and watching Americans play soccer, it's fun to see these guys play. and It's fun to see them get consistent roles and play in big games and, and it, more importantly, be a big part of big games. It hasn't happened yet with Tim Way, and it, it yeah. might happen at some point this season. We don't know. It's still too early to tell. But he's also not the only one, right? Weston McKenney at Juve, unknown as to what his futures, immediate future is really going to be. And last year, he certainly wasn't an every game player, right? Eunice Musa uh, at Valencia, younger than McKenney and Wea, certainly, but not an every game player and not even playing in a spot that I think made the most sense from a national team perspective. It made sense for Javi Gracia in, in, in uh, Valencia, but maybe less so for the rest of us. It just, 
it's bumpy and it's messy and a lot of things are, I guess, but it's, it's going to take time. And I'm interested to see where this season takes way yeah. where the next couple of years take him. Cause again, 21, he's got a lot of soccer ahead of him. I think, and I don't want to go too much longer on this one, but I think to like put a bow on it from my perspective, it's basically that when you tell me Tanner Tessman got 15 minutes, I'm like, all right, that's great. Like, how, how'd it go? What'd he do? And then like, if he gets 15 minutes the next game, I'm going to be equally excited when it's Timothy Way and it's like, oh, he played 20 minutes. Yeah, that feels about what he's been doing. Like that enthusiasm <laughs> isn't quite as there. And I think yeah, that's, that's all yeah. it is. And it's such a like first world problem when it comes to soccer fandom, I guess, of like, ah, he's not starting as many games as I would like. Uh, again, we've come a long way, U.S. soccer and, and the talent pool. But I, I think that's just sort of like I'm ready for it to not be like, oh, 15 minutes again. But like, oh, two starts in a row. That's great. I want to get to that level of excitement again. And I hope that happens. I really do. And I think it can because, again, Tim Weah is very good at soccer. And I think he's probably better than a lot of folks just generally who watch him give him credit for. I think he does so many things really, really well. And he can be a big part of his club team in France and then with the U.S. men's national team going forward. So, Taylor, I hope we can stop seeing some of those 20-minute cameos and start seeing more and more of these starts so we can all be excited. But – as you've already said, we've got the depth a little bit more out wide. Certainly more than we did in the Gold Cup because we've hmm. got Timothy Weah, we've got Gio Reyna, we've got Conrad De La Fuente. And I would argue, Joe, there's an argument that we've got Julian Green. Uh, and that Ooh. is the final player to be discussed this week, uh, playing as a left-sided midfielder for Grutha Firth in their, I believe, one-to-one draw is how that one finished against Armenia mm-hmm. Bielefeld. Uh He is playing as a left-sided midfielder in a 4-3-1-2 but is kind of simultaneously a number eight, but also a, a left midfielder, but also a left wing back, and then also a left winger. He's he's kind of all over the place for Griffith Firth. And it made me really excited because this is where I'm going to say, like, this is potentially total nonsense and just maybe me getting excited. But the way Serginho Dest plays that left back spot for the U.S. national team, especially when they're going against an opponent where they expect to have the ball, they expect to be dominant in the attack— there are some similarities with the way uh, Julian Green plays for Grutha Firth. Uh, what tends to happen that I saw is Jean-Luca Itzer, who is their left back, will automatically advance up the field when Grutha Firth are in possession. And then Julian Green will wait for that to happen, and then he will hustle back, check back into that space that's been vacated and receive the ball, usually with... 10, 15, 20 yards to play with, and then he will go on a run in behind Itzer that either he tracks that run and overlaps with the ball or he cuts inside. But the way he's moving into that space, receiving the ball, turning, driving forward with it, sometimes cutting inside, sometimes passing, sometimes shooting, sometimes crossing. And here, I think his cross after... I think the cross is connected, it hits the post, it hits the other post, and then there's a handball and they end up getting a penalty. But the variety of the way he's attacking has me thinking that he could be a wing option for the U.S. He could be potentially a wing back slash fullback option if Greg Greg Berhalter wanted to get a little bit uh, wild out there. I don't know if he even makes it into the camp, but I saw things in this game that just made me think maybe Julian Green might be back in that conversation. I think Julian Green is such an interesting player. He's a guy who is so flexible and so fluid. And Taylor, I love how you brought that up of of the different roles he was doing in this game. It kind of is similar, at least in idea, to what Giorena is doing for Dortmund. Moving into different spots, playing as a central midfielder sometimes, but, but higher sometimes and lower other times and wider or narrower. That's modern soccer in so many senses. And that's the kind of soccer that Greg Berhalter is trying to play in possession. And having someone like Julian Green, who's not at the level of 
Pulisic or Reina or Wea or Aronson or Con- maybe I don't Conrad and you're, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. I'm splitting hairs, but he is someone who's familiar with some of those rotations that Baralta likes to use. And so if we do see him in camp with the U.S. men's national team anytime soon, I think we can now have, as I'm learning more about Julian Green, I can have a baseline level of confidence and comfort in what he brings and how he might fit into this U.S. men's national team. And then there's an element of veteran cynicism to his performances that I saw, <laughs> at least in this game. And and that is a thing I, I don't hate when it comes to the national team, that uh, when he is playing more centrally three different times in this game, he's has the ball coming in, he has a defender closing him down, he's got his back to goal, and you can see him see the defender coming and just adjust his body a little bit, kind of le- like he'll like take one step wider than he needs to, and he knows that that's going to trigger contact, and then he fell over. And every time he drew a foul, and I want to like emphasize, he wasn't diving, he wasn't even really looking for it, but it was absolutely drawing a foul. It was anticipating where the play was going to be, where the pressure was coming from, and then essentially stepping into it to make sure that that contact occurred, but then drawing a foul and allowing his team to kind of put numbers forward because with Gretha Firth, I also saw them doing things that the U.S. It was an uncomfortable similarity to the U.S. at times with the, oh, we've got the ball. We'll dribble forward five yards. No, we're going to turn around and pass it backwards. Okay, now I'm going to dribble five yards forward. Now I'm going to cut it back. And so I think anything that they could do to get themselves a breather, to get a foothold, to move the ball forward, and then that would allow them to commit numbers further forward off of the set piece, I thought he did a good job of sort of not always trying to beat somebody, not always trying to get around somebody with skills. And he would do that. He would still take people on. He would still get to the end line and and faint like he was going to the end line and then cut back central. But I think he also was happy to draw fouls. He was also happy just to play simple when it was on. And it wasn't a flawless game from him. It wasn't a flawless game overall. But there was just a lot to like from him. And so if he is in the camp, I think this game gave me a greater understanding of what Berhalter saw that he liked. But if he's not, I'm just going to assume it's the age-old explanation of others are ahead of him. Going back to that veteran cynicism phrase you use, Taylor, mm-hmm. I don't think we have the technology to do this. But if so, and if you've got this just lying around in your house somewhere, some crazy-looking machine, if we could transfer 50% of Julian Green's veteran cynicism to Joe Scally, I think <laughs> that would be the perfect trade. Julian Green might not like it, but hopefully you'd see the common good sort of approach that I'm looking for here. I think that could be a really good transfer. I, I thought you were going to say Gio Reyna for a moment, and I'm glad you didn't because, like, uh, Watke, Chris Russell, uh, did, did like, <laughs> the, the quick clip about uh, the angriest player in the pool. His argument yep. was it was Gio Reyna, so and I don't know how much of that was tongue-in-cheek, but I do think there is a fire there. There is a competitive spirit. I'm going to guess he is the type to... Like, there's all the stories about Ronaldo losing a ping pong game and going out and buying a, a, his own table and practicing nonstop and then coming back and destroying Rio Ferdinand, who'd talk trash to him after he lost. That feels like Gio Reyna to me. And I kind, I don't love the body language at times, but when you realize that that is just part of the character, and, and if that is the case, that it's just who he is and his teammates know that, it just, I think it, sometimes with a, with a player like that, it becomes, just a lovable quirk that you can sort of like, ah, he's having one of those moments. And like, you don't take it that seriously. And then it becomes less of this kind of threatening, frustrating, negative energy. It's just like, ah, Gio's having one of his moments. He's competitive. It's fine. And so I don't need him to be, I think, more veteran or cynical. I just need him to continue to have that fire. So I agree with you. If we're going to transfer it to anybody, let's send it to Joe Scally. Yeah, Gio Reyna's doing fine. I think he can handle <laughs> uh, those building blocks. Let's just, let's give it to old Joe and, and see what happens.
All right. I like it, Joe. And I like <laughs> uh, that we have done a very good job, in my opinion, of reviewing seven Americans who did varying things this weekend, except for Josh Sargent, who was Tuesday, but still it counts. Uh, Joe Lowry, we will be back later in the week with some listener questions. We've got Allocation Disorder, many, many more shows on the Total Soccer Show. But for now, thank you very much for talking about all of our Americans abroad. And I'm assuming you and I will be doing some roster breakdown once we have that one. And we'll certainly be reviewing all those World Cup qualifiers together, if that works for you. Oh, yeah. I can't wait, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me on. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We hope you can't wait either, and we will talk to you all again very soon. 